Welcome to Post-Status Draft, the official podcast for Post-Status, a website with news and information for WordPress professionals. Draft is brought to you by our club members and our site partners. You can check them out on our website and join the Post-Status Club at poststatuscom slash club. You'll be joining more than 450 wonderful club members, and you'll never miss important WordPress news again. Today, I'd like to feature one of our partners, WP101. The WP101 plugin delivers a set of WordPress video tutorials right to your client's dashboard, freeing your time to do what you do best. Annual plans that cover your entire client base only cost a couple billable hours. Check out WP101 at wp101plugin.com. Thanks to Sean Hesketh at WP101 for being a PostStatus partner. Now here's our show. Hey everybody, I'm Brian and I'm the editor of PostStatus. And I'm Joe. I'm a co-founder and CTO of HumanMade. And welcome to the Post Status Draft podcast. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about running a micro plugin business. And we're also going to talk about WPCLI. One of my favorite, favorite topics. <laughs> because you use the tool so often? Yeah. And there's the, obviously, uh, Kickstarter stuff that came out this week, which we'll probably get into. Absolutely. Uh, so... I guess we should start with running a uh, micro plugin business. Um, we got a little bit off our schedule with the podcast, only slightly, like a half week. So I, I feel like we smoothed over it. Okay. We did. We People probably wouldn't have noticed if exactly. I hadn't said anything. We kind of did smeared the time difference, you know, like a, a leap second almost. So that's true. So <laughs> what I did actually for post status club members was record a short interview with Barry Coy, uh, who runs a, a niche. Do you say niche or niche? I say niche, yeah. I say niche. <laughs> I think that might be an American thing. I think it probably is. Most things that don't sound very good are. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, uh, I, niche doesn't sound good to me. <laughs> I don't know why. It's what I got. I, f I feel like a faker if I say niche. Yeah, yeah, a little pretentious. It's like calling Paris Paris or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely wouldn't say that either. Um, so I did a, a little interview with Barry Coy, who runs Never5, and it's this little suite of plugins. Um, and he's doing this as a solopreneur, and he did that classic leap uh, from working for someone and doing something on the side to then going and working on his own. And he made that switch when he went from... Uh, WooThemes to his own because WooThemes got acquired by Automatic and they don't allow side projects. And his side project was just big enough to where it would have really hurt to uh, to give it up. Yeah, interesting. I think uh, from, if my memory says correctly, there was only like three people, I think, that didn't come across from Woo to Automatic. I guess he was one of those then. Yeah, I didn't even realize it was three. I thought it was like one or two. Um, maybe. maybe uh, right. a, a number of people did have side projects, but a couple of them, or at least Mike Jolly's, he also sold WP Job Manager to Automatic. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think some folks had some free plugins that they care about that they can still work on, of course. But anyone that was monetizing something to a significant degree had a, a, a decision to make similar to Barry's. And I just thought it'd be fun to catch up with him about how his plugin business is going, what the changes have been like, and what the challenges have been for him. So before we talk about uh, niche or micro plugin businesses. Uh, let's go to that interview with Barry. Hello, and welcome to a little snippet that I'm recording with uh, 
Barry Kuj. Is that how you pronounce it, Barry? Um, Barry Koi. Hey. Koi. Wow. I totally destroyed that one. Um, We were talking on Slack and talking a little bit about related posts for WordPress and the 1.5 release you did. And I thought it would be fun to just uh, do a a little bit of a, a mini interview to talk about how things are going now that you're uh, what I would deem an independent plugin developer. Um, so if you could give us a, a 60 second version of your path to, to now where you're running never five, which is a uh, four plugin suite of uh, for sale plugins um, with related posts for WordPress and download monitor being your, being your primary baby. So how'd you get here? Right, so um, I officially started July 1st, and um, yeah, like we were discussing on Slack, I just did some math, and um, yeah, Diamond Monitor is like, my, like the biggest income source at the moment. Um, I didn't really expect a lot of um, like income change when I, when I like took this step, because uh, I think this is more like a long game thing, right? So you put on more hours. It's not like uh, in an hourly business that you instantly start making more money. But uh, now in October, it's like the fourth month, and I've seen a total revenue grow of 24%. So I'm actually I'm really happy with that. I didn't expect it to grow that, that fast. Yeah, so you were managing these plugins as part of your full-time job. Uh, or well, not as part of your full-time job, but as on the side from a right. full-time job. And you went independent, uh, you said in July, right? Yeah. And um, you've actually seen growth, and do you think it's directly attributable to putting in additional effort to uh, development and marketing? Yeah, I think um, I'm not really sure. I've spent a lot more time developing. This might sound really strange, but uh, having the complete freedom all day makes you uh, gives you more time to do like this. Well, what I see as secondary stuff, which some might argue, but stuff like marketing and just. Um, um, people take you more seriously, I, I guess. So more and more people like talk to you, want to do business sort of uh, deals, like become an affiliate or do a blog post about you. So I think a lot of the growth comes from from more attention uh, on the plugins. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure why they're growing uh, at the speed they're growing, but uh, yeah, I'm really happy with it. Do you think to a gr- degree uh, it's people feeling like now that this is your main job that there's an extra level of confidence that they feel about buying your plugin and using it in a uh, a serious situation or a, a high priority website yeah i guess so and and ever like since never five started i've really this is the first time i really created this 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 company that represents all plugins so i've seen like people that were already related post customer buying uh, download monitor extensions and the other way around so i think it's more like a um, yeah, it's really a company now. I think you're right, right? So it's not just this guy doing this stuff in in his evening, but it's more like I, I think you're right. There, they have the feeling that you that it's a more secure purchase, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. So you have um, four plugins: related post, WordPress, download monitor, WP Car Manager, and right. Post Connector. Yeah. And you were telling me a little bit of the breakdown percentage wise of of uh, how these affect your revenue. Can you share um, roughly kind of that percentage breakdown and 
also share how that impacts which ones you focus on? Right. So <clears throat> related posts for WordPress is, is about 21%. Uh, so this is just on October based this month, right? Which is the best month uh, of the company. Um, related posts is about 21%. And then download monitor is around 40% of the revenue. Um, I also have post connector, which I guess roughly makes around 15 to 20% of the income. So that leaves me with around 20% of other stuff. Like I sell some extensions on, uh, on Ninja forms and on easy digital downloads. And uh, so like other, like not primarily income things. Uh, I mean, WP car manager isn't making any money at the moment because the only extension I've built for it is, um, was, was basically to test the extension model. Um, as in if it's working. <laughs> um, so, and how, how did this, I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time on related posts at the moment, not directly related to because of the revenue it's making or potentially could be making, but just because I felt like it was time for a big update for that plugin. Um, so in terms of development, uh, I spent time more based on what I think would be good for the product and not so much related to how much revenue it's making. In terms of support, I do notice that you spend a lot more time on products that make more revenue. So Post Connector would be only making 50% of, of the uh, 50 to 20% of the revenue, but it's not taking any support at all. Where Download Monitor takes most of my support time because it's many small transactions. So yeah, I think, yeah. So yeah, the, you have three different models aside from the things that you do with like EDD and stuff, but you have uh, multiple models. Related posts for WordPress is a flat rate. Post connector is a flat rate, uh, and then w- or, and then download monitor is an extension model. And you mentioned that uh, you see more potential with something like download monitor for revenue because of the multiple purchase options versus a single transaction. Right. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to market. Um... So I, I really think that one of the hardest things is to make the first sale because no one, except unless you know me like in real life, um, you never know if you come to this website related to WordPress, if, if you're really going to get a plugin that's working, if I'm not just someone who's just collecting money and actually don't even have a plugin, stuff like that, right? There's always this chance when you buy something on the internet. So with Download Monitor, the extensions are a lot cheaper, so the risk is a lot smaller for a user. And once they've done a purchase and they see that they actually get something that's working and they get support, they are inclined to do multiple purchases afterwards. I've had a lot of customers who buy a small plugin or buy a small extension on Download Monitor, and then a month later they buy a couple more. Um, in terms of marketing, it's the same thing. Like you build up this email list, and for related posts, this email list mostly consists out of customers. So I can't really sell them anything. Uh, I don't want to email them about other things than related posts, what they subscribe for. So I mainly send them updates about what's coming up in next versions and all that kind of stuff. And then you kind of pray for that they still like your product in a year and they'll renew it. <laughs> but you're not cross-promoting no, plugins no, to lists. Those, no. You manage those independently. Yeah, I manage this independently because... Um, it's kind of a tricky thing because the laws are so different in all the countries and I'm not sure which laws I'd be crossing if I would send download monitor news to related post customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do tend to lead them to a blog post about uh, about what I wrote about, for example, the related post update and then on my blog you will find that I do multiple stuff. But 
Um, but with download monitor, it's a lot easier because you've got this big list of customers that can be customers again, right? So you do an update for an extension and you email all your download monitor uh, customers, including people that don't even own that extension, but own a different extension. So there's a lot more cross-selling potential in, uh, in the extension model. And how well does the bundle option do on download monitor? Because you have a personal license for $125 that gets 10 of the extensions, which right. would otherwise be $320. Right. Um, I, I believe that's, that's a, um, I, I wish it would do better. I'm not, uh, I don't have the stats like, uh, I know, don't know them by head, but it's doing quite all right. I think it's, in terms of revenue, it's probably doing around 10% of the monthly revenue for, uh, for down monitor, right? So that's 10% out of the 40%, mm-hmm. which isn't bad. Um, in, but that's only a couple of sales a month, right? It's, it's not doing that extremely well. I think once I, because uh, the new extensions I've built will also be included in the bundle, which is uh, a promise I've done and a promise I'm keeping. So I think once that value gets bigger, then uh, it would sell better. I see. What's one of the biggest lessons that you've learned uh, going out on your own? What's, what's the lesson you've learned and what's one of the challenges that you've encountered? Um, I think one of the, the best things that I've done is, um, like set, set, set day times for your support. So don't have your support box open all the time because there's always going to be a question. And if you like treat it like you would as an email inbox, you would just be answering emails all day and not really be able to focus on other things. So I have like set times like 9 a.m. in the morning and then 12 and then 3 and then 6, right? And then 9 in the evening. I'll just do my support rotations. Um, yeah, and I think like, I think marketing-wise, and I still have a lot to learn marketing-wise, but just doing silly tricks. Uh, I mean, tricks make them sound <laughs> like they're cheap, but I mean, just spend more t- I mean, I'm a developer, so you would think like you build something really cool and it will sell, and it's it's not like that. So you you have to spend a lot a lot of time marketing, like writing about the stuff and uh, making sure your checkout page is optimized, and and doing stuff like that really increases your sales, and, and that's really nice. Yeah, the uh, the free version of Download Monitor has sixty thousand down or active installs on on WordPress.org, mm-hmm. and the related post for WordPress has four thousand. Yeah, uh, and related posts is getting about um, half of or close to half of the revenue of Download Monitor with less support. So, do you see related posts for WordPress as your biggest growth plugin? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the the user base for Download Monitor is kind of skewed. Um, because I mean, the original author Mike Jolly, he had a he had a version that he built before custom post types, and then after custom post types, he completely rebuilt it, um, and he did some sort of a, an update trick that he went back to zero one point So only half of the about half of the people that are like active users are able to use the extensions. So if, I see. Right. So, uh, but still, if you look at it like numbers like that, I do think that like related posts would be the most profitable if you would put an hourly rate on your own hours. Um, yeah. Interesting. And so, you know, with related posts, I feel like you're successfully uh, positioning yourself to be the uh, 
other option to jetpack related posts and how do you how do you try to give that pitch if somebody asks you why should I use related posts for WordPress instead of jetpack related posts um <clears throat> I think one of the so there's a couple of different so the basic outcome on your website would be the same right you have related posts um mm-hmm. but like one thing my plugin does completely different is that you own all your data like there's no you're not dependent on some sort of a service that's running somewhere else right um which might be nice in terms of i mean i don't really i think your site would probably go down before jetpack servers but there's people people have concerns about it right and then there's 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 a lot of uh, people working at companies i've seen that are clients of me that have policies that don't allow them to send the content to another server right Mm -hmm. And what you mean, real quickly for people that don't know, what you mean by that is uh, related posts through Jetpack run on WordPress.com service where it completely indexes the site on WordPress.com. So you basically send all your data through there. Yeah, within their Elasticsearch engine. And then it manages the related post output completely from the WordPress.com side and just sends it back. Right. Um, Versus yours is an index within the WordPress MySQL database. Yeah. So yeah, I, I built an own algorithm, and it does. Uh, it builds its own cache on your own server. So, um, and another big thing that my plugin does is that you can manually control the uh, related posts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with Jetpack, you never know what's going to be related. It just pops up on your base load, and uh, with my plugin, you can have more control over that. So you can do ma- manual like changes to things you want to be related or not. Yeah, I know that's one that I've really enjoyed because it kind of guarantees that I can assign a certain related post if I know it's something that I want to be yeah. there and in, even in a particular position, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. You can you can just drag and drop so you can put them in the position you want. And one of the other big things that my plugin does is that it supports custom post types. I'm not 100% sure Jetpack does it. I don't think they do. Um, so you could, if you also have a WooCommerce shop, for example, or an EDD shop, that, that doesn't really matter which type of shop, as long as it's running in your WordPress uh, uh, installation, you could say, like, find me related products I sell to my blog posts, and it will just do that automatically for you and append them behind your blog post or underneath your blog post. Yeah, and you can actually uh, index custom post types within the same index as posts, even if you want, right? So, like, yeah. you can... Basically, you can create a custom index with whatever combination of post types, and then you can apply that on any one of those post yeah, types. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I I, uh, I use your plugin on on my site, and uh, I did do the comparison between related posts for WordPress and Jetpack, and try to figure out what I what I wanted to use and why I want to use it. And I think what I ended up choosing it for because I do use Jetpack on my site, so related posts for Jetpack from Jetpack would have been. Uh, a relatively straightforward option, but I liked the ability to customize and, and do some of that stuff with yours. So that's why I went that direction. Cool. But mostly I just wanted to see uh, how things were going with Never5 and since your since your switch, and it seems like it's going well. Do you, do you think it's the type of thing where you should have made the move earlier now that you're on the other side, or do you think it was about the right timing for you? I think it was about the right timing. I've learned a lot working for the product companies I've worked for before uh, making the step. Um, so, I mean, I'm kind of happy with the whole deal that happened to Woodrims because it kind of forced me to, to make the step now. Uh, I'm not sure I would have had the guts to, to actually do it already, like last July, if, it, if I wasn't forced into it. So, 
I'm happy with the way things went and uh, it's growing. And like I say, I really think it's a long, long game thing. So I think the real growth of me being able to work on this full time will happen in the next six months. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm happy. Cool. Well, thanks for spending time with me. And oh, real quick, what's next for Never Five? So uh, the WP Car Manager will get a lot of, like I released it as soon as I could. So it gets some traction and some users. And I get, I actually, it's one of the first plugins that people email me just to thank me saying like, oh my God, I've been waiting for something like this. This is really great. <laughs> um, so I believe there's a lot of potential. I picked the car plugin because there's so many extensions, like so many ways you can go with it. So that will definitely get a lot of uh, updates and extensions in the next couple of months. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. I love the niche concept of WP Car Manager. So good luck with everything, and we'll see everybody next time. All right. Thanks for having me, man. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that interview. Um, so what do you think about running micro plug-in businesses yourself? Uh, yeah, I think it's great. The you know, uh, if I think if you can make it financially viable, the, the smaller niche you have, the better. Um, that, that's my general take. Like I think having a smaller, uh, maybe problem is is the right word to to solve. Then you can do that in a better way. Uh, I'm often reminded of. Um, I can't remember this guy's website now, but and I can't remember. <laughs> and I think this was genuine. He was like um, like a pencil sharpener guy. Have you, have you seen that guy? <laughs> Someone was run, running a pencil sharpener? Yeah, yeah. It, literally his whole business is like he'll come and sharpen your pencil for you. Um, That's the r most ridiculous business <laughs> I think I've heard of. Are these very special pencils? <laughs> no, it was just, you know, artisanal pencil sharpening. Um, it, it wasn't a joke? <laughs> no, no. I think it was actually serious. But anyway, I thought it was great. You know, if you can get somebody to pay you to do that, then why not? Yeah, I mean, certainly if you can get enough people to pay you, not somebody. Somebody is a dangerous wow, thing. that's true. That's uh, true. If you can get enough... It does need to be kind of sustainable. Mm -hmm. If you can get enough people to pay you, then I think uh, targeting a niche is great. Um, I mean, with Happy Tables, y'all didn't go after a niche, really. I don't think I'd consider uh, restaurants a niche because they're everywhere and, you know, all over the place. It's It's the biggest niche if it's one. Yeah, no, I it it isn't really. Um, I, though I, I do kind of remember that definitely um, people saying that a good amount, right? Uh, I, I guess it's niche compared a, to what Squarespace goes after, right? Exactly, like generic website builder. Um, it's it's niche compared to that, but not um, you know that there's in terms of actual market size. Uh, and I think there's a significant huge. balance between going after. Uh, a big market where you know there's an audience and your question is how big of how much of that audience can you capture versus mm -hmm. going after too small of an audience that's really just not got enough people in your in the market for what you're doing um and of course that's fine like say i guess when somebody's working on hey i'm gonna start selling this plugin there's lots of great examples of uh small like micro plugin businesses i was trying to collect some some that were like one person or part-timers or really no more than two people and there's mm -hmm. a lot of good examples of that in in the wordpress space one of the dangers i've seen before is where people decide this is great and it's usually like i built this for myself i wonder if other people would want it and in the wordpress world a lot of times that's hey these are tools that 
I needed for my plugin business and other plugin businesses might need it too. So then their audience ended up being plugin right. businesses or something. And I think that's a yeah. dangerous market to get in because you might have no more than a couple hundred potential customers. And if you're not charging them like $100 or more a month, it's not ever going to be a scalable, decent-sized business that could even employ one person, much less a team. Yeah, I think, you know, broadening out a little bit, developer tools uh, often fall into the same pitfall, right? Developers are trying to solve their own problems of, of coding or whatever they're doing day to day. And, you know, they, they kind of wish like something like that existed and then are surprised when it doesn't, you know, um, everybody doesn't want to pay them for it. And maybe it's typically harder to sell to people that feel like they can build stuff their own anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so there's that side. But I know that with WP Remote, that's something that was definitely a kind of big factor for us. Um, we, we, that, that was a tool that came out of what we kind of wanted to do, you know, as, as part of our service offering and thought, oh, you know, maybe other people would find this useful. And that was really targeted at developers. Uh, and we've got plenty of people to sign up to that for free. Uh, that, that wasn't a problem, but uh, yeah, trying to monetize something to uh, a group of people that, that are not really used to being monetized maybe is, is definitely a lot more difficult. And yeah, when it's not a consumer-facing application, but it is a complex application, mm -hmm. uh, WP Remote required a lot of ongoing work for y'all if you were going to continue to create features for it and market it and all these things. Right. The the technical um, development is, is almost more, you know, around developer tools. I think like the expectation is higher and you're typically trying to... Uh, solve a bit more, you know, meta difficult uh, challenges rather than solving a, a um, commercial customer need. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a little bit of a sweet spot where a lot of the businesses that I see that are doing well as kind of solo shops are, they are solving problems that other WordPress developers are well aware of. However, the WordPress developer isn't necessarily the end and only customer. Instead, they create something that a WordPress developer can recommend to their clients. And mm -hmm. so it ends up being a common website feature. And then it's, uh, but it's, it's something where they can sell it over and over again to one developer, basically, uh, or at least sell a developer license that the developer would use on their client sites. So I thought I'd list a few that I think are doing a nice job. Never five, you talk, we talked to Barry about the success he's had shop plugins shopplugins.com uh daniel espinoza is doing that and he's creating a niche in woocommerce plugins i mean wp 101 is one for client training and he's got, actually got two sides but the wp 101 plugin is one that a wordpress developer can buy and then like put on their client mm -hmm. sites uh, search wp to improve uh, wordpress search facet wp to create faceted wordpress search seed prod for simple landing pages uh gravity view uh and Gravity Plus are both uh, services that enhance Gravity Forms. So those are like plugins on top of plugins uh, on top of WordPress, which is interesting. Event Organizer. Oh, gra Gravity View is the one with the crazy video, right? Yeah, it's got an awesome video. <laughs> awesome video. I actually did a post on that, which is probably the least serious post I've ever done. But I didn't care because I loved that video. Uh, theme of the Crop. This is up your alley. Like this is uh, themes and, and plugins specifically for restaurants. Um and these are all businesses that are doing well. Uh, you know, they're probably somewhere between hundreds of dollars a month, and uh, I would bet some of the top ones here, are like ten or twenty thousand dollars a month. Um, mm. But they are 
one person businesses for the most part. All right. And I thought it'd be fun to just talk about like what sets, how, do, how does someone get into this type of situation? Because it's the classic uh, dream, right? You know, you're doing client work and you want to get away from it and do product work. Everybody talks about that. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, um, practically speaking, you kind of just go and do it, and if somebody is buying your thing, like there, there isn't a, there's no, uh, I guess barrier to entry, right? If you can, you know, code, um, and you kind of have a bit of marketing sense, then there's probably, you know, there's probably some some little nook that that you can find where somebody hasn't solved a problem or something. A, a lot of these I see there. Uh, often really targeting the person that knows how to install plugins but probably not develop them, mm-hmm. um, which which I think is a good uh, angle to go for. Yeah, um, someone that lose... knows what they need but they don't know how to get it. Right, and and they typically, you know, um, if if they have, they've got WooCommerce and doesn't do one little thing that they really want to do, then I'm sure they're more than happy just to pay 50 bucks to get that when they can't do the code to to do that. You know, when When you're trying to sell plugins that are, you know, development shops are kind of weighing up, oh, is it better to build this in-house or should we just, you know, shortcut and buy it? It's, it's probably a bit more difficult because I think engineers usually have a bias towards thinking they can build it quicker. Um, but the the people that aren't able to, they're, they're probably going to see the higher value because they'll be judging it based off of what is this providing me rather than how difficult is it for me to, to make this. Um, so if you can find something that can offer value like, a, you know, integration for WooCommerce for a different payment provider or whatever it might be, the... As long as there's enough people that do want that, I'm sure they're going to be happy to pay, you know, up to a hundred bucks to get that. Um, so that that would be kind of that's probably where I would look to to uh, focus. Yeah, and I think it's probably most common for people to start their product uh, as scratching their own itch or solving a problem on a client side or something where, or maybe they have the problem over and over again on client sites and they start to productize it. Um, where where do you think the challenges come in for most folks that are trying to turn something like that into a real product? Do you think it's marketing or do you think it's uh, making the code general and, and flexible enough for a broader audience? What would you say the challenges are? I, I would say it's based off the skill set of most people to do is probably marketing because typically that's not going to be their background, right? They've maybe come at it from development first uh, focus. I, I think like... It, it depends what your goals are. Like, let, let's say you're wanting to move away from client work. Like, you're going to be want to be kind of, you know, getting, what, $100,000 or something in revenue um, before all, all your expenses and everything. So, like, there, there's a, if, if you want it to be a full-time occupation for yourself, then um, you're going to need to go above the, like, this is a little side project uh, to, to, to get to that stage. Um, I think like having a little side project that brings you a bit of extra pocket money every month is pretty easy to get to. I think you you need to kind of elevate your game as it were to, um, you know, to, to really be fully supporting yourself and feeling that you have the security not to uh, be doing client work or having a, a day job or something like that. I think, um, you know. Yeah. So if your base revenue is goal is $10,000 a month, that's $120,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And at that you have to sell a hundred licenses per month at a hundred dollars each. And that's 
not simple. You're selling three a day or so, more than three, right. three a day. Right, and the, the thing is you've got to do that every month to different right. people typically. Uh, th this is the one, you know, the unattractive side of, of selling products in this way is like your balance sheet resets every month and now you've got to do it all again. Whereas, <laughs> you know, pe people are obviously attracted by the SaaS model because you get to uh, accumulate um, customers that way. Uh, obviously, a lot of the plugin and theme devs do it from like a support yearly kind of thing, so they can try and recoup some of that that money the ne the next year round as well. But um, you're kind of uh, swimming upstream. I kind of feel like all the time, uh, which is okay if if you've you know done the groundwork to a degree where it's uh, self sustainable in terms of you know uh, people are are needing to buy this plug-in or whatever it is uh, on, on an ongoing basis. Um, so I, I guess kind of that that would be, that to me is a kind of worrying, <clears throat> excuse me, worrying aspect, right? That you do a promotion one month and you like really kind of try to push it and then you just, you see that start to tail off naturally and you've got to do it again and it's kind of this constant somewhat fight. But then, you know, I look at, um, say, Pippin's plugins, which is taking it to another level now, but even when uh, it was just him, he was doing a fantastic job with with um, the premium plugins he had. So I'd definitely be, I, I think if I was interested in this space, I'd definitely be looking at, at what he did to, as, as a good kind of model for success. Yeah, and I think there's a, a few good role models. We, we talk, people talk about Pippin a lot because, I mean, he did such a great job as a solopreneur and has since hired folks more recently than right. you would think actually but he i mean he really had some great products that took off and he also had coding chops that not everyone has and he had a that's true he, he was um, also quite open with it i think with the you know numbers that he was making and stuff like that like he, he, he yeah. always seemed sure. to be publishing that stuff so people could have the insight you know mm -hmm. and i think that's naturally attractive to other people in that same market uh one one thing i think uh, I thought of while you were talking that came to mind, I think a, a threat to a degree is sometimes we think, Hey, maybe this is a good idea. And then you like tweet it or I don't know, maybe share it with a network of yours. And you're like, Hey, what do you think about this idea? And a handful of people or a dozen people come back and say, man, that's great. I wish, I, I wish, I wish you do that. I think you should do it. And yeah, even if you sell those to those people, like you've sold a dozen or 50 licenses so not even enough to cover your first month of demand and i think too often we take a relatively small num bit of feedback that's positive and account that as uh being a market demand for what we're doing right there's a selection bias there in that um people who don't really think it's a great idea just scroll past your tweet right um they they, they don't reply and tell you it's not a good idea uh, so you you don't actually have any idea what the relative like the the percentage of people that find this useful. You just know that you have five out of potentially thousands. Yeah, and I think one of my bits of advice would be to try not to use that bias of going after your own uh, your exact network, like your Twitter followers, because they're going to be like you. They're going to have your problems. Um, yeah, and that too. you might find a broader market if you do market research that's beyond uh, other developer problems and you go into WordPress problems and common problems that uh, site owners have and, and bloggers have. And I think you can potentially find more compelling 
market opportunities when you do something like that. So I think you're better actually looking at what your clients' problems are than what your own problems are, for the most part. I mean, there are certainly... Yeah, that, that's true. Definitely some um, prototype ideas have, have, have um, come out that way. I know that we were, around the time that... Um, I remember who developed it originally. X Team, I think they were called. Then developed Stream. Um, tandem to that, then we were having the same problem with a few clients of needing kind of audit logging for enterprise type stuff. Um, and we were considering coming out with just a, a simple product that would be, you know, uh, targeted at the enterprise, high price. Um, but but that is a, a problem that came out of what our clients were having, and we already knew that we would be able to sell to them. Um, it so happened that Stream came out and we kind of just thought that, oh, you know, we'll, we'll just let them pursue that and we'll, we'll kind of use that. Rather mm-hmm. than yeah, that. I'm actually going to uh, pick on somebody. One, because they have two products and one of them is targeted in a way that's very successful and the other one they learned did not. Um, the folks behind Ninja Forms, uh, they have Ninja Forms, which is a, a successful uh, WordPress form builder that obviously has a broad market appeal and it's grown a, a great deal. Um, but really before Ninja Forms hit its big growth spurt, they also came out with Ninja Demo, which was targeted to plug-in developers to offer login demos and stuff like that. And it was because mm-hmm. they had this problem of wanting to create a demo for people that wanted to try Ninja Forms. So they created a product around it. And then they quickly learned that they didn't really have the market for Ninja Demo that they had for Ninja Forms. So it was pretty instantly a tiny, tiny side project, or maybe not even, they might not even sell it anymore um, because it just has nowhere near the size market that Ninja Forms did. And I think right. if someone is seeking to get into this business, be very careful about what market you go into because you may have something because based on some code you've written for yourself, but the code is just the first part of a very long journey and then a, a long slog once you're in the day-to-day, the month-to-month of trying to sell your uh, sell your plugin and, and support it. Um, so be very careful about what you're selecting. I th- Go ahead. Um, yeah, no, I, I was going to um, move on to a different point, so if you've got more to say on that, do. Well, I was going to move into uh, what happens once you do hit uh, the right zone and you are trying to go from it being a side project to working for yourself or maybe just being a one-person team to a multi-person team. Mm. Um, That's just, it can be a scary step. Oh, yeah. Uh, suddenly having you know somebody, I mean, maybe start with somebody part-time to help you out or something so you don't quite have the, the um, burden of a full-time salary on you and, and uh, somewhat guaranteeing that salary for them too, which is an, another part of hiring people. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think that first step between like hiring your first person, that's even any any business really, that's when it starts to get a little more um, a little more scary. Yeah, I've heard multiple people, uh, Corey Miller from iThemes said this, uh, Pippin said this, said they wish they would have hired earlier. Yeah. Um, but the reason obviously that people don't is because it is terrifying to think about paying someone's salary. So a good in-between is probably to pull someone in on a contract basis and uh, 
develop a relationship with someone that is relatively consistent to help you out, whether it's with support or development or whatever it is, maybe design. And uh, I love that that Pippin's done. Uh, Andrew Monroe is now a team member, but he's also a partner in Affiliate WP, one of their products. And he uh, does a lot of things, but he it really shines at the design and kind of front end and portrayal of the products. And I mm. think that's gone a long way for making helping the business grow. Um, and right. you can't uh, you can't speak too highly of how important that is. Like the the way you view a plugin and see a plugin uh, for how for how that impacts the growth potential of it. The one that yeah. actually one that comes to mind is there was this plugin relevancy that just has oh, such yeah. a terrible a terrible sales page and all this stuff. And I apologize. It had, if had, the person, had a bad reputation in the... Yeah, I'm sure the code community. was terrible, but it was it was fixing WordPress search, sort of. Right. Uh, and it was it was solving a problem, but it just I just never felt good about it when I... Like, I didn't want to recommend that to the agency that I was working for. And when I saw Search WP come out... Um, from Jonathan Christopher, I was like, oh, yes, like a real plugin, a real business. Right. And it's yeah, really and, the and same it's, model. It's, it's like a, exactly. a basic, basically a solopreneur, but it felt so much better. And I yeah, felt so I, much I think more confident. When you, right. When you, when you see they kind of, I don't, I don't know if it's design aesthetic or what it is, but you're kind of like, you want to be like, okay, this is the plugin to do that thing, right? That they, They've got that covered and I can trust them to deliver on that. Mm-hmm. you know niche um technical challenge or, or, or whatever it is um I, I usually kind of when when stripe came out i think that was a great example of that everybody just looked at stripe and were like okay these guys are doing payments properly and it wasn't like yes they were quite developer focused and that was good but you could just tell in all of their design and marketing that they cared about this and you were kind of comparing it to paypal at the time who just didn't care like what anything looked like what kind of image they were portraying <laughs> or anything and it just didn't give you any confidence at all um and 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 that's kind of that's what i think we're always kind of striving for is to present your product or service to be like totally um kind of trust uh worthy really um so people just are, are feeling happy to go ahead and buy it or use it or whatever. Um, and so you've it's a very emotional way to make a decision, but it's true. It's how we, it's how we make those decisions. It's just design yeah, no, aesthetic the, just the, plays the a majority, part. Right. I, I would say that's the majority of how much impact I have when like, you know, somebody says, check out this product or this new editor or something. If <laughs> like sublime is a funny example, the sublime website is awful. Um, all of that stuff really badly designed and everything. And that definitely like, impacts how i see it like you you go to adam editor instead or something and they, they clearly care a lot more about that stuff it's higher up on the priority list and i think it does count counts for a lot i don't know if uh, you know I, I think there is a correlation there between um how much they usually care for the product and how much they're going to care about how their you know marketing side of stuff is yeah absolutely so for people that are looking to get into this world um you know consider more than the code and definitely check out some of the people that I'm putting in the show notes, the list of plugins that I think do a pretty nice job of, of portraying themselves in a good light. And these are solopreneurs. And I think 
they're not just solopreneurs, but they're also not afraid to say who they are and what they're about. Like they have about pages that you, most from most of them, or you can see what they're doing and see who they are. Uh, and they they pay attention to design and experience, and it's more than just creating a nice utility that's going to be helpful. It's it's creating a uh, a brand and. Um, I think Barry's site at never5.com, he really does a great job of this. And obviously you get a little more insight on him than some of the others because of the interview we just played. Um, so good luck to everybody that's trying that. And actually, uh, I did not think about this when we were planning it, but this is a nice little segue into my WordCamp US talk, which I'm able to say now that I'm giving. Oh, wow. Congrats. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I, I hadn't heard. It's just a uh, it's just a, a flash talk or whatever, like a, a, mm -hmm. a quick one. Um, but I'm actually talking at WordCamp US about how to build a compelling WordPress product or service. Um, and I get pitched a lot of stuff. And at WordCamp US, I'll go into uh, a little more detail in a very speedy way and offer more uh, resources that people can can get from there. Um, so I'll be talking about this at WordCamp US a bit about uh, making your product or service compelling and more tips on how to do that. So consider that an extension of this little chat. Nice. Uh, and with that, let's move into WPCLI. And Joe, why don't you start by just telling us what the heck is WPCLI? We have got uh, uh, acronym fever on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> so can you talk yeah, about what it is? Yeah, this is a full acronym. Um so WPCLI is is literally short for uh, WordPress command line interface. Uh, so it is really uh, a way to uh, administer WordPress from the command line rather than the WordPress admin. If you really the, the, the easiest way to think about it is an alternative, you know, to logging into your admin and clicking around is uh, punching some commands on the command line to achieve those same things. Uh, so that's kind of um, that's what it does. You know, why why would you want that? Well, there's there's a few reasons. One is maybe you uh, enjoy using the command line and are more proficient doing that. You know, um, so just pulling up your terminal and typing wp post delete or something uh, is is um, easier to logging into the WordPress admin, waiting for pages to load, clicking around, finding buttons, that kind of stuff. Uh, it also, you know, there there's a few technical advantages. Um, like there's no things like. Uh, time limits for running tasks. Um, again, like uh, authentication doesn't really matter because you already have access to the machine where you're running. You're authenticated uh, through the right, server through itself. SSH or something, or, or it's on your local machine. So you don't have a problem with a lot of that stuff. Um, you can write uh, scripts, so maybe you can you know, have a task set up for on a cron tab where every hour you run uh, WP cache flush or something to flush your cache if I don't know what whatever reason you might want to do that. Uh, so it's kind of um, can be used quite a lot to be a bridge to interact with other programs. Like you could do something like pass a JSON file and pipe all of that into WP post add, and then you could you know that's you could automatically create lots of posts that way or something. Uh, so it, it's you know the there, there's a lot of um, flexibility once you have a. a not not to get kind of too geeky and technical on this, but once you have a uh, Unix program that takes uh, pipes and outputs and you can filter and stuff like that, then you can really mesh it together with every other system application that you have. So maybe you can, you know, call the Twitter API and pipe that into WordPress to do something, or you can, you know, export all of your posts and push them somewhere else to, to create calendar invites. I don't know. You know, you, you can 
uh, plug stuff in together uh, just because of the Unix API and how all that stuff works. Um, so it's a, and the, I'd say, very powerful tool for you know um, ad- advanced users. And there are both uh, the built-in commands, and also there are community commands, as I think what the website calls them, as well as like like plugin, compa- uh, plugin implementations. So. Uh, yeah, so like, the the inbuilt commands are typically you know akin to what you get default WordPress, which is you know you can list your posts and delete them, update options, do tasks, export, import your database, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then it's it's become somewhat a popular, I guess, uh, developer thing to do would be to provide WPCLI commands for your plugin, so people that want to you know list their um, EDD orders or something at the command line, they will build a specific command line uh, extension to do that, basically. Mm-hmm. Similar to as, as you would with the REST API or something, WPCLI is another ex, you know uh, another portal for nip- manipulating and, and viewing the data. Some of the built-in commands crack me up because I can I just know they're for like true blue CLI users, <laughs> and I'm not that person. Uh, like you can, you know, what like create a post from the terminal. Yeah, I I, I do like creating I you users do is is really useful actually. Creating um, what? Creating users. Uh, like if you download a production database and you don't know the passwords for any of the users, like yes, you can log into MySQL and you can MD5 a password, or you can just use WPCLI to set that password because again, you just have admin privileges running as, as CLI. Yeah, that's really smart. Uh, so I haven't thought it's of it really in that useful way. for that. Uh, I used to hack that a lot back in the right. day. Um, yeah. But I personally have some, like, two or three things that I do a lot, and then everything else I just don't do very much of. And I think I'm personally interested in learning some of those types of hacks. So the, I'll start with the ones that I use, and I feel like I might be a common, like, WPCLI newbie type of person mm-hmm. where you know i i know just enough to to do some things where i've heard it's better to do it from cli versus other things for sure. many of the reasons you listed earlier um the two biggest ones i think are import and export well yeah. cre- treat those as one uh because you can get them in a, a file format that's a, i think more reliable than the wordpress importer uh so if i'm importing uh a file like a database and I'm not doing a direct um, like database dump, which you can do that through this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm importing content from somewhere else, I like the WPCLI version. It seems to be a little cleaner than the the WordPress. Yeah, it, it does. Plugin. So it requires the WordPress importer plugin, so it reuses a lot of that code. But um, for example, you don't get a progress indicator or something when you're doing it through the web, and chances are your process is going to time out after six seconds, or your file is too big to upload. All those kind of problems go away. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, super useful for that. And I think uh, it, it is a little more reliable because it can. Um, I, I'm pretty sure the kind of image fixing stuff and things is yeah, is especially around images is where I feel like I've had more success. Um, and then the the uh, do you use the search replace where you're yeah. going to go on to that one yeah. maybe yeah. yeah the one i use by far more than others is search and replace uh so if i am moving domain names or just moving stuff around the search and replace is a great utility this is a common problem um of course you can use tools like wp migrate db pro which are kind of full database management between installs 
but if you don't have that, but you do have WPCLI enabled, and a lot of hosts support WPCLI now, uh, a lot more than they used to, like managed hosts especially, um, then you can use to, uh, search, search and replace through WPCLI and give it a lot of options, but uh, better than anything else is it handles serialized data, which is a common problem in searching and replacing with WordPress. And more importantly, uh, other options that are kind of the go-to, like the interconnect IT script that's been around for years, uh, those require like putting a file on the server and then executing that file. Uh, and if you just leave that up and, you know, like you don't protect it, like I feel like that's a vulnerability point. Yeah, it's it's worth mentioning that the import, uh, the sorry, the search replace, a lot of that actually came from the interconnect IT script. Cool. Um, so I would say that definitely use WPCLI rather than any of those things. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think if you're, if you really kind of, you know, get, get to know how to use it, then you're not really going to need any of the kind of, you know, typical plugins there. Yeah. Um, I just know I've gone, I've, I've seen, I've gone into like SFTP or something on a site and I've seen that script wide open <laughs> right, on right. someone's route. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure like, it happen, oh, no. happens a lot. Um, yeah. The, you know, don't just, ne never just open your SQL file and search replace URLs in it. That is a bad idea because you will quite possibly lose a lot of data through serialization that way because you can't um, replace uh, data serialized strings because PHP, you know, says how long the string is. So if you replace that string with something longer, then it'll just uh, fail the unserialization process. Uh, so any any of, of those kind of tasks, this is incredibly useful for. Um, maybe I'll just take 30 seconds to explain that if you want to use WPCLI, go to uh, WP... Dash CLI. Dash CLI. Dot org. Org. I thought it was that. Uh, and there's downloading instructions there. So it just runs, you know, as a command line tool as anything else does uh, on, on your computer. So if you um, are familiar with how that works, um, then it's very easy to get going. I think there's like three commands total um, to get it up and running. And um, yeah, hopefully you, you won't look back. And uh, I would recommend kind of trying to incorporate it into your workflow. Just, try, you know, like, like a, a lot of tools, just... You, you need to, um, you know, go, go through that small, um, unproductive kind of hump be before it, it's probably going to actually... Uh, yeah, eventually you just click with it and you start to use certain commands from it instead of plug in versions of the same style of thing uh, more and more. I just saw one that I honestly, I knew it was there. I remember a time in my life where I was using it a lot and then I forgot about it. And I probably could have used this recently. Uh, instead, I installed a plugin for it. But I mean, you can regenerate thumbnails from WPCLI, and yeah, uh, that's that's a super useful one. Yeah, so you just WP Media regenerate, and it's like boom, there it goes, and it runs in the background. You don't have to watch the progress meter. Same thing we were just talking about, and you don't have to install a plugin or like you don't, you know, like maybe you're in a production environment where you need to regenerate thumbnails, but like maybe you have a plugin approval process or something that takes a long time to deal with in a certain type of organization. You, mm -hmm. CLI can be really useful for that type yeah. of stuff, but I'm not the expert on this. So, what do you, what, Joe? In your opinion, like, what are some of the really handy things? I mean, I, I think uh, you, you've definitely you, even most stuff I do. You know, search replace is a big part of that. Um, search replace on like on multi-site is super useful. Being able to mm. uh, search place across the whole whole network. Um, other multi-site things like so. So how it works with multi-site is you just pass dash dash URL to the CLI and then pass the, the, your your site URL. Um, so that saves a lot of time because multi-site, you know, going into different admins to do different things. Like if you want to, 
uh, update an option on every site. Like, yeah, you could write a script for that probably. Or I could type WP site list, uh, pipe that into WP site update, and then, you know, update a value so I can just write a quick, uh, you know, so, so maybe kind of thing that you would find foreign, uh, Brian, but like uh, to, to script, like doing something on every site or something like that, uh, you can tie commands together, right? Because you list them on one side and then you use a Unix pipe and for every site, then you get to com call a different command on that site. Uh, so I, I do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, things like flushing cache is something that happens a lot. Getting an option value, you can just do WP option get, then pass it an option name and see what the value is in, in the database. Um, so that's just for like testing. Yeah, yeah. Usually like the, that kind of debugging in production is probably what I use it for the most. Um, and given that I'm, I'm somebody that uses command line a lot, so usually I will write a CLI command rather than writing any admin interface. So a lot of plugins that I have, like S3 Uploads is a good example, has no admin UI at all, but there is a good amount of CLI commands um, to do things like, you know, upload directories to S3 or test your S3 credentials or generate you an IAM policy for you to put in AWS and that kind of stuff rather than, uh, you know, I just don't really like wasting my time writing UI. If you're writing for the CLI, then there's a lot of helper functions for like output a table with these values. You know, you don't have to actually write the HTML CSS for anything. You can just deal with the data that you're dealing with, basically. Um, and it'll, it allows you to get to that point where usually when I start developing something, I want to get to running my little piece of code as quickly as I can, right? Which is an, uh, another thing I like about writing, you know, TDD test-driven development with being able to write unit tests for your code is really you're, you're wanting to run this little bit of code that you're writing as quickly as possible without having to click through a bunch of screens every time you want that code to run. So you have to go click edit post and click update and wait for it to do a bunch of other stuff on update before you can find out that you like missed a semicolon or something. Uh, having a CLI command will probably allow you to call that code quicker, right? So um, often, even when I'm developing, I, you know, hook up a CLI command that I'm writing straight away so I can just run that little bit of code in isolation to Vardom stuff and, and that kind of thing rather than uh, doing it all in the browser. Um, so again, when you kind of get a little more used to using it, then um, I, I think it can be a kind of very lo-fi way to help with development of, of those kind of things. What is it like writing an extension for WP CLI? Um, yeah. What should you be familiar with? So, um, yeah, you need to know how to code, uh, <laughs> as, as you would expect. Uh, so it's really as easy as just extending the WP CLI command class and then each public method that you make is a, you know, one command. So you would have a class called, uh, you know, S3 upload CLI command. And then I have a function called uh, upload directory. So that function is automatically called when on the command line, I type S3 uploads um, uh, upload directory, and then you can pass it arguments. And the arguments you pass on the command line are automatically mapped to PHP arguments to your function. So you can test if they pass dry run, which is quite a common pattern, right? So you can test running a command or you can pass verbose to output lots of debug information whilst your stuff is running. Um, so yeah, it, it's pretty simple really. It's, it's the case of writing a class and registering that with WP CLI to say this, this is the command for this class and then you're good to go. And to be um, clear, this is within PHP, within your plugin. Y'all have it. Right. I'm looking at S3 uploads right now and there's an includes folder and there's the WP CLI command 
uh, class where that's where you're extending a WPCLI class. So you don't have to know whatever is required at the uh, at the WPCLI level necessarily. You're just interacting with that. Because when I look at the WPCLI code base, there's some code in there that I don't recognize at all. You know, like yeah, it's not- yeah, the, right. The, the CLI uh, internals for anybody that is interested in contributing or developing to it um, is a an interesting uh, example of quite good modern PHP, but still WordPress, which isn't a, a combination you see that often. Like uh, what so is it, what is a dot feature? Like there's, <laughs> I don't know what that so, means. So that that the dot feature is a BHAT test. Um, so the the testing framework that CLI uh, is typically using isn't PHP unit, it's BHAD, which is more high-level functional tests where you say, when I have an install and it has a post, it should return me this when I run this command. And then you write a test to interpret that kind of user story. And then... Um, but anyway, I see. Yeah. So now, <laughs> I, I see it now. Uh, within PHP and right, commands, e- e- even the top-level structure of WPCLI is probably going to seem foreign to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you got to like get not... into the PHP folder of WPCLI to see the way right. the actual, uh, you know, various commands are are coded, yeah. and those look like WordPress. <laughs> those are yeah, those yeah, are PHP. They, they, they do. It's it's using some more interesting patterns. It has like quite a lot of uh, custom iterators and things like that, which is a lot more efficient for outputting large data sets and things. Um, but um, the um, I, I think a lot of that design came from uh, Scrooby when he was uh, maintaining the project. Uh, probably must have been over a year ago now before Daniel Bakuba took it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it's, yeah, it, it's got some kind of um, interesting stuff. Uh, but I'd say concentrate on the kind of using it and maybe dabbling with creating your own custom commands for stuff that you might want to do um, initially, at least. Uh, yeah, I think your S3 uploads plugin is a nice looking uh, uh, learning. Yeah, yeah, thing. That, that's like all it's, some, it, somewhat simple. Yeah, um, it's not that crazy. Right, uh, right. It's a handful of functions that are pretty self-explanatory for people that understand how S3 works. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a good a good way to kind of see the type of stuff you can do. Because I mean, some of the stuff you do is it's a lot of message handling with. WPCLI because you know when you're actually interact interacting with the terminal, it's not very useful unless something returns and tell you what it did and what happened and what you need to do now. Right, uh, right. So and a lot of these, a few... it's like based on success or error. What message do you print out? Yeah, yeah. So typically, your command will usually your command will accept a dry run flag and a verbose flag plus other stuff options that you may want, and then you are expected to, you know, do re- return an error code by doing, you know, WPCLA error and an error message so people know something went wrong and what the reason was, or a success one if it completed. Um, and then if a BOS is passed, then you would typically print out things as you're going. It can also handle things like uh, progress bars. So they're not super common in CLI, but when you run curl, I think, in um, CLI and you're downloading a big file, then you'll get a pro- progress bar running across. You can build those, you can build tables. You can also, a, a quite standard thing, which is really nice, is um, a, a pretty much all of the internal commands and, and most uh, other commands also should do is they a- accept a format param. Uh, so you can say format is table or format is CSV or format is JSON and WPCLI will automatically change the formatting of the stuff you return from the format utils. So anybody using the command can either pipe it to JSON 
or uh, sorry, out output it as JSON or output it as a table or a CSV. So then they can push that into other tools that accept those. Um, so if you've ever used the command line tool JQ, which is uh, like a JSON parser, so you can push a JSON file into it and then you can say, get me the you know nested value of each post. So if you've got a list of posts, you could say, you know, it's an easy way just to say output all of the post titles or something. So if you used WPCLI to output JSON, you pipe that into JQ, which you say, get me only the post titles. Maybe you can pipe it back into WPCLI and do something else with it. Um, so having that flexibility of outputting different formats is something that's that's really cool. Yeah, that's really neat. And the way you coded this is your entire class creates a command. So it's WPCLI add command S3 uploads. And I'm just liking your example. <laughs> and then you create subcommands with many of the uh, functions within this class, like migrate attachment. And, right. And then within that, you can create the uh, like the various flags. Like I think delete local is one of them. Um, right. Right. And yeah. So typically, the um, there's a, there's a few kind of uh, patterns. Like usually your CLI command is is it's a bit more standard. Uh, Unixy to use dashes so you kind of in the doc block you can say though this function name is migrate underscore attachment I actually want the command to be migrate hyphen attachment mm -hmm. so where do you actually define I'm, I'm getting a little deep into your <laughs> code sorry where do you actually define the uh, the subcommand to be migrate attachment uh, so there should be an at subcommand if you search the oh file. so it's reading the doc block yeah, yeah. So a lot of the a lot of the WPCLI stuff is is kind of quote meta programming in dot cool. blocks. So you you say what um, arguments it has. So WPCLI will automatically kind of if you pass an argument that doesn't exist. Because one thing you could do right is you would run, you know, delete site and pass dry run, but you accidentally miss the hyphen dry hyphen run. So it's just one word dry run. So now it's not going to do the dry run. It's just going to call the command. But WPCLI will automatically validate these things based off what you said the values are and it'll be like you forgot the required dry run flag um, so again those are, are using dot blocks um, and again the descriptions when you run just WP on its own it'll show you all the available commands and taking their descriptions from the dot blocks so it's very uh, clean kind of interface for creating custom commands awesome so WPCLI is uh, useful for developers that want to take advantage of the commands that are available. It's extensible for for plugins that want to be able to utilize it. And like you said, I really like that that example of you know you can kind of do away with the uh, UI if you can rely on having that underlying layer with WPCLI uh, to take some of those management steps. So it's a nice way also to create functionality that's available to the development team, but not so much to the client. Yeah, that, that's um, definitely where I kind of see the dividing line being. And I think there's, for, for at least kind of the code that I am putting out there and, and plugins that I'm releasing really just for other people, you know, quote, like me to use, um, it's it's pretty uh, ubiquitous at this point that, that you know, pe people have WPCLI and know um, how to use it and, you know, uh, They'll definitely be more happy with your plugin, I think, if it has CLI commands because it's an indication typically of the quality of the plugin because it's done by a developer that uses WPCLI and those tools and kind of, um, I, I think there's just, uh, again, has a, a better understanding. Right, right. 
And that brings us to Daniel's Kickstarter. So Daniel Bach-Kuber is the maintainer of WPCLI, and WPCLI is used by, I mean, a lot of hosts. So therefore, it's on, I'm tempted to say millions of websites, sort of, uh, but... Yeah, it's, it's probably available to millions available of Available to millions yeah. of websites. And um, he essentially is doing a Kickstarter, trying to raise $17,500, which is... If you subtract Kickstarter fees, he's trying to fund roughly 150 hours at $100 an hour uh, to be able to extend the REST API, I mean, extend WPCLI to unlock some of the potential of the WordPress REST API within the command line. And so us walking through what y'all do with S3 uploads is actually, I think, a decent uh, way to walk into this because you can see supporting S3 uploads from WPCLI is not... Uh, it's not terribly crazy, but it uh, it is a lot of work. I mean, that's 413 lines of your plugin <laughs> for <laughs> for S3 uploads. Uh, yeah. So he wants to create a bridge, I guess, is that the word I should use, uh, yep. between the REST API and WPCLI. And it would enable to kind of take some of the features from the REST API, which we've talked about a great deal, and pull them into WCLI. One of the examples that he gave was, well, basically it's all the endpoints. Uh, well, the, fr- even the ones from plugins and themes, when they register an endpoint for the REST API, it'll automatically be available through WPCLI commands. And um, so he talked about like pushing and pulling posts so that you can do uh, post migration between installs, which is really awesome. Um, but can you give a better explanation of exactly <laughs> what his campaign or his Kickstarter is aiming to do? Um, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So I would say fundamentally the REST API and WPCLI are very similar. Um, it's, and, and I think like he just describes in the Kickstarter, it's really create, read, update, delete operations for WordPress. Uh, and, you know, most developers will tell you after working, you know, doing development for 10 years, like 80% of what you do is just CRUD for different stuff. It's just like, I've got a new post type. Now I want to be able to add this new value and people can create, update, read, and delete it. Uh, so the the REST API is a way to do that over HTTP. CLI is a way to do that at the command line. Um, but the internals of these things are both, there's there's a lot of duplication between these. And like, you know, uh, Daniel working on both of these projects, uh, being part of the uh, REST API team and also the maintainer for CLI is is you know, probably knows that better than anybody because he's like having to write, uh, like recently I think he was writing taxonomy listing stuff for CLI, but we'd just done that in the REST API for like getting taxonomies and reading them in, in the REST API. So there's there's a big crossover there and it seems like, so the, the idea of this Kickstarter really is to um, p- potentially, maybe longer term at least, CLI would be a schmo- uh, a, a a kind of small wrapper on top of the REST API for just essentially calling endpoints via the CLI, um, but in a more CLI fashion rather than typing in the URLs and, and stuff like that. Um, but I think the, so, so that is nice and, you know, it's like that, that kind of makes sense, but nobody's getting anything extra from that. The real value of this comes from when you're writing extensions like plugin developers right now, let's say you take, uh, you know, WooCommerce, uh, WooCommerce has a REST API. Um, now, so happens, I think their current one is, is using a, an old fork version of V1. But at some point, I expect that to migrate to the, the you know, latest V2 of the REST API. 
once they've done that, then Daniel's project is going to make all of that stuff automatically available at the command line to be able to do things like listing your orders or deleting them at the command line. Uh, and WooCommerce won't have to do anything extra to enable that functionality because this, you know, the, the REST API enforces a certain level of abstraction and high-level description of what your objects are and what are the parameters that you can do on these objects and things like that. You can kind of automatically convert that into WPCLI commands. Uh, so it's kind of a an interpreter for the REST API to instead interact with it on, on the CLI. And this is really, uh, like, you know, I, I, we, we haven't pledged yet, but we certainly will be doing because this is going to save real time of, of development that um, otherwise that you'd have to do. And, you know, for every project now, you just write your REST API endpoints and you automatically get them on CLI. Now you've got two things for one. Uh, when you do fund it, you're probably going to take it over the top because yeah. as we record this, it is uh, about 95% of the way there. And it only opened today. Yeah, so I, you can see, I mean, and it, I'm assuming the three large contributions are from hosts or from uh, people with yeah, I, a Yeah, I would ass assume that too. So I would hope the, so. Um, eight and a half thousand dollars one is, and you know, for for some reason, Daniel only only put one of those up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and 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 then uh, two of the three thousand uh, dollar pledge. Uh, mm -hmm. So that that's kind of the the bulk of it, but um, th this is, um, I think it's fantastic that it's obviously going to reach it. Uh, I, I think even by the end of the day today, first day, it'll it'll have reached that. Um, it'll I be think on there by the end of this podcast. People will be <laughs> like, "What did y'all record this in 2014?" By the time they listen to it tomorrow, <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I think that he probably, to be honest, I think he he could have and probably should have asked for more. It's not a lot of money. Uh, and it's not a super easy task. I know that, you know, I've chatted to him a good amount about how he's planning to do this and, and that. And, and I kind of, you know, know, know a lot of the challenges here. Um, and there's clearly a good amount of interest based off of the, the first few hours that this has been um, up. So, uh, Well, hacking uh, Kickstarter psychology is not easy. Um, yeah, so I, sure. I actually worked with him a little bit on reviewing some of his... Uh, pledge levels and and copy and he did take all my advice gosh what a guy <laughs> that's, that's a surprise <laughs> i'm just kidding he had five or six people basically giving him completely Conflict. opposite <laughs> advice which is what happens anytime you ask for advice so he, he took uh the best of each and uh put this together i think he did a great job and um I'm glad actually that he set the goal at a level that is achie was achievable, um, but it wasn't super low or super high. Um, and of course, in Kickstarter, you can always go over. So sure, he can raise thirty thousand dollars just as easily as seventeen thousand five hundred. But if you see thirty thousand dollars initially and you don't get this big swing on day one, it's a little right. scary. Yeah, you that, might that, never, never hit it. So I, I don't pretend I, I, to I, I understand Kickstarter trying, psychology. I, I, I was more saying in how much money I think that this is to, to produce it, it doesn't seem like a lot. Um, so, you know, um, it, it's less about trying to squeeze the most out of the Kickstarter. And I was just kind of from, from a development perspective, um, then he, I, I, I think, um, he's, he's got his work cut out for him, but, um, I'm sure he's, you know, capable of, of del delivering on it and everything. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be, 
uh, really valuable to people. And I hope people that will gain value out of this do donate above and beyond the 17,500 level because uh, I'm confident that Daniel will utilize that time to continue to make WPCLI better. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think um, he's now, um, you know, um, free, freelancing or, or he's, he's got his own um, yeah, single man company now. Yep. So any extra money is obviously just going to be available. I guess I don't want to speak for him, but um, I, I would imagine anyway that that will be for him taking precedence over needing to get any client work and being able for him to spend more more time. And there's definitely, I know that there's going to be a few things that he's probably going to need to get into the REST API to make this all work smoothly. So uh, you're going to be inadvertently funding uh, development from that side as well, which is a good thing. Yeah, and I think uh, I think this would be good. I love seeing projects like this get funded uh, when they enable people that have put a lot of work into uh, into making open source tools better and when especially when businesses are using them and and uh really getting a lot of benefit out of them the opportunity to give back is usually welcome uh that $8500 pledge was taken like super quickly yeah uh, so i think the hosts that enjoy this feature for their customers or enjoy offering this feature for their customers uh are happy to give back in this manner so Congratulations to Daniel on what already is a very successful Kickstarter. And yeah, if you uh, want to learn more about WPCLI, go to wp-cli.org. And we'll put some links in the show notes to uh, some some plugins that are using it, some community commands, that kind of stuff. And uh, I'd love to see more more plugins support WPCLI. I think it's, it's really neat and uh, it's super handy tool for developers and i know i want to be able to use it for more than i'm using it currently so thanks yeah, joe for I, I would take, giving us take, better insight on that take the approach of um i don't know you know take a command a week or something see if you can work it into your workflow that's usually command the best way week. to learn these things i like that cool uh well that'll do it and thanks for everybody for joining us and we will be back next week joe where can people follow you uh joe underscore hoyle on twitter any good uh, gists recently? Uh, actually, I think there was, you know. Um, here's, here's, a, here's a handy one which went out this week. <laughs> so it was another REST API one. So currently in the REST API, if you want to include, um, let's say you get a post, but you also want its featured image object and its author or something, then you need to pass uh, underscore embed to the end of the URL as a query param. Uh, and that will send along the associated resources. Now, the, the problem with this is it can get, if you've got like, if you're getting 20 posts and you're also getting all of the embedded stuff, so like that's all of the comments and uh, all of the terms and taxonomies and all that kind of stuff, it can get quite a, you know, first off, there's a lot to send over the wire and there's a lot. So um, it's multiple queries in one return? Right, one right. Response. It, right, exa exactly. But it, it can get slow from on your server because you're pulling a lot of data doing that. Um, so I wrote a kind of little shim so you can do like... Uh, include underscore embed and then you can just pass like a list of the specific embeds that you want like author and featured image is pretty common uh, so that's cool check, check that out yeah so i saw something so maybe there's already a built-in tool because scott bolander did a gist of his own playing your game uh where he 
shared some code about getting featured images in the first place. And I thought it was weird that it didn't already have them. So maybe I was just misunderstanding. Oh, uh, that, that may be related to something else. So currently the featured image is a little in an odd location in terms of where it is embedded. Uh, but there is a ticket that's just been merged to change that. So it's more accessible. Gotcha. Cool. And you can follow me at Krogsgard and go to postatus.com slash club and sign up. And if you want to learn about the REST API, i got to give our continuous pitch to feelingrestful.com, a day of rest in London in January. It's going to be a fun conference, and you can hang out with both Joe and I. So go to that conference. All right. Y'all have a good one. Bye. Thanks.